We good? Yes. So Daniel, how you doing, man? Good to see you. Y'all can make your way back to your seats. It's so good to see everybody here this morning. So, so thankful for Arlington Baptist Church. Um, are y'all grateful for this church? Y'all gra- yes. Man. <laughs> All right. There we go. Um, amen. Amen. So we've got, um, we had a lot of change happen this morning. Um, as Pastor Brett was saying this morning, um, just our time change with um, all Bible groups meeting um, at 9.15 this morning. So it's a, a little bit of a change. Um, thank you for your patience um, and, and for just kind of bearing with us where, where everybody was needing to go. Um, next time we have a change, I'll try to do a better job of communicating direction and everything. And uh, Lord willing, we'll have some directional signs that we can put up um, fairly soon. Uh, but we thank you so much for your, for your patience with that. Um, uh, also wanted to remind everybody that this Wednesday, it's a little different. At 6.30, um, we're going to have two different um, equip classes. Um, so this Wednesday at 6.30, we're going to do a, a class on spiritual disciplines, on how to grow in your relationship with Jesus Christ, um, how, why we fast, why we pray, why we uh, worship, why we study the Bible, how to do that in a way that affects our growth and maturity in Christ. That'll be at 6.30. Miss Margie is going to lead that class for us. And then we've got a class on how to share your faith. How to share your faith. So we want to be able to equip you to go and share the gospel with the people that are around you. How to turn everyday conversations into gospel conversations. Just finding out how we can do that um, together as a church. We want to be a church that shares the gospel with other people. Right? We want to be a church that shares the gospel with other people. Um, so we want to equip you to be able to do that. Um, real quick, also, um, you'll see on my right hand and my left, there are some Operation Christmas Child boxes. Um, Miss Margie's class, they've been preparing since, I think it was July they started preparing for Operation Christmas Child collecting. June, um, collecting, um, collecting things for Operation Christmas Child. I can't believe that we're talking about Operation Christmas Child um, right now. Um, so I haven't been in Florida in a long time. So does it ever start to feel like winter or... You know, so you just start talking about Christmas when it's 90 degrees, right? That's okay. I love, I love being here. Um, but Operation Christmas Child, it's, it's right around the corner. Um, so um, what that is, is it's an opportunity for us to give to um, people that are in third world countries who don't have a lot of resources. There are specific things that we put in those boxes for them. But most importantly, um, Samaritan's Purse, who organizes this, they share the gospel with the people that um, they take these things. So not only are we meeting a physical need um, by, by giving them boxes and toys and Christmas things, but we're also giving them good news of Jesus Christ and meeting that physical need. Um, so if, if you want to grab a box today, um, we only have a couple of packing lists. It's a very specific packing list that you can put in there. Um, so if you wanted to grab one today, just make sure that before you uh, fill the box that you go to Samaritan's Purse, their website, Samaritan's Purse, their website, and um, look at what is specific and what you can or cannot put in there. Um, but if 
you already know or, um, or, um, or, or if you don't have access to a computer, just kind of hold off till next week. This week we're going to be getting in uh, packing lists and then also um, whether or not to put to a boy or a girl in the box and everything like that. So if you want to hold off till next Sunday, that's okay. But if you have access to be able to get to that packing list, go ahead and grab a box, take it home. Uh, Miss Margie's class filled 57 boxes this weekend. Woo! So I'm going to put a challenge out to all, all our other Bible group leaders and see if you can beat that. Can you beat 57? We got another Bible group that's willing to, to beat 57? See if we can have a record number of boxes filled this year. A little friendly competition in the name of Jesus, right? Good, good. All right, we're good. Um, if y'all would turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1, um, we just finished a series called Pray the Psalms, where we walked through all of the Psalms in 50 days, um, had a number of Psalms that we walked through, I was learning what it means to, to, to pray to the Lord, pray back scripture to Him, um, lament, cry out to the Lord, trust the Lord, um, praise the Lord, all of those different things. Um, and this week, we're going to start a brand new series in the book of Acts. We're going to start a brand new series. Lord willing, we're going to get through 28 chapters in 11 weeks. I said, Caleb, how are you going to do that? I have no idea. Um, I've, got it, I've got it mapped out, but we'll see. I'm going to be flexible to, to how, the, how the text leads us. But the plan is to do 11 weeks in the book of Acts. That way we can jump into an Advent season. Y'all, y'all believe that, um, that December is 11 weeks away? I'll get your shopping done. Um, so we're going to do 11 weeks in Acts, and then we're going to jump into an Advent series where we get ready for Christmas, and then in the new year, we're going to walk through the book of Romans. Um, that's, that's the plan as of right now. I'm going to hold to it loosely, just in case the Lord wants to lead us in a different direction. Acts chapter 1, if you have your Bibles, we're just going to read verse 1 through 11 together, um, but we're going to cover the entire text. This is going to be a survey of the book of Acts. We're not going to go line by line, word for word. It's kind of going to be a, a survey where we um, take major points, and we look at those and see how they apply to the church, Arlington Baptist Church here, and how we can use their example to live out our lives on mission for Jesus Christ. And so that's what we're going to do. If you would stand in honor of reading God's word, Acts chapter 1. The word of the Lord says, in the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Verse 6 says, So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It's not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witness in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and on a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven... As he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Will you pray with me? Lord, we thank you so much for your, 
your word, your inerrant word, infallible word, life-giving, life-changing, life-transforming word. And we thank you that you give it to us, the church, to stand on, to live by, to be built upon. And I pray that we as a local church, as we walk through the book of Acts, you would, you would inspire us to live out this mission by the power of the Holy Spirit. And that we'd see your kingdom come and your will be done. God, would your Holy Spirit fill us today? God, we know we have your Holy Spirit through faith in Jesus, but would you illuminate our minds and our hearts? God, we come expectant, desperate for you to come in this place and move in our hearts. In your holy precious name I pray, amen. Amen. Has anybody ever embarked on a, on a building project before? Um, whether something small or something big. Um, well, in the last house that, that my wife and I had in Georgia, uh, we bought this house and um, it, it had a bedroom. The master bedroom was on kind of the complete opposite end of the house. The, the garage was converted into um, a bedroom, but there wasn't a bathroom, right? There wasn't a bathroom that was, that was on that side of the house. So um, before we moved into the house, um, I had a plan. Before we even bought the house, I had a plan, right, to be able to, um, to build a bathroom, right? I knew right where it was going to go. Um, I knew what tools I needed to be able to build it. Um, I knew why I needed the bathroom, right? Um, and also, I invited my dad to come and help build it, too. My dad's dad was a general contractor. He built houses for a living, so my dad helped him build houses, build houses until he went to college and to seminary, um, and then went into the ministry. So he's, he's really knowledgeable with those things. So I knew who I was going uh, to have to help me on this project. So I knew, I knew who was going to build it. It was me and my dad. I knew where I was going to build it. Right? I knew what I was building. I knew it was a bathroom. Um, I knew how I was going to build it. Uh, what's the next thing that I needed to do? Build it. Hey, good job. I had to build it, right? Um, it's one thing to have plans, to know why, to know where, to know how. We can watch all the YouTube videos we want on how to build something. Um, we can buy all the tools. But unless we actually take all those tools, take all the resources that we have, the knowledge and everything, and, and get to building, nothing ever actually gets done, right? So I believe that in this text, we're going to see that God has given us the who, the what, the where, the how, and the why of the purpose and the mission of the church. Now, just don't stand there, right? God has given us the who, the what, the where, the how, the why, and the purpose and the mission of the church. Now it's our job to not just stand there and watch and observe, but it's our, our job to go. To go, to go into the mission field. We're going to see all these things in this text that we just read and even in, throughout the, um, the book of Acts, how just God's plan and purpose of the mission of the church unfolds. You know, when we look at, when we come to the book of Acts, this is our history as a church, right? This is a historical narrative that Luke, um, who was a physician, he was a historian, took painstaking details to give us of the New Testament church. Right, if you didn't know that the, the book of Acts is actually a two-part book, right? Um, Luke, who the book that bears his name, the Gospel Luke, was written by Luke, and that was the first part. The second part is Acts. Unfortunately, the way that they put the, the Gospels together, the Bible together, there's a book of John that's in between them. But if you were to, to read the two books back to back, you would see just kind of like the essence of a continuation of a story, right? 
In fact, Luke tells this person who he's writing to, Theophilus, he said he dealt in the first book, talking about Luke, with everything that Jesus began to do and to teach, right, until the day when he was taken up. So the book of Luke is everything that Jesus did, everything that he began to do, everything that he began to teach until the day that he was taken up. And then Acts, for us then, is a, a, a historical narrative for us to see the early church and the things that they did for us to be able to follow their example. Now, a lot of the book of Acts is uh, descriptive as opposed to to prescriptive. So what that means is some of these things are descriptive, just things that happened as opposed to prescriptive. When you think of a prescription, it means your doctor gives you a prescription. These are the things that you're supposed to take, right, in order to heal whatever it is that you have. So it's, it's not prescriptive. A lot of the things are just descriptive. Like we don't need to start a handkerchief ministry, right? Where Paul takes out his handkerchief and someone's healed. We don't start a handkerchief ministry thinking that if I touch this handkerchief, you're going to be healed of all your disease, right? That's just described something that happened like a miraculous one-off time event. We have no other account in history of that ever happening. So Paul or Luke is just describing things that are happening, right? But we look at this text and we say, okay, I, if we want to be a biblical New Testament church living on mission, we want to look at the example of the original New Testament church and everything that they did and say, how do we live out our faith like them, right? We want to get our marching orders as believers in Jesus from God's word. And the book of Acts is a great place for us to do that. So first we look at who, who. And the first thing that we see is the people that are sent out, right? It says in verse 1, in the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. So who is Theophilus? So Theophilus, some scholars believe that he was uh, maybe like a Roman soldier or a centurion um, because in the book of Luke, um, he gives them kind of a salutation of, of, of respect and honor of someone that would have, um, have like a rank, uh, like a ranking official. So Theophilus um, might have been like a centurion. Some people think that he might have been really, a really wealthy person that helps support Luke in his endeavors to research everything that the New Testament had done and to research the, the, the eyewitness testimony of Jesus. But one thing is for certain that we see in the first book of Luke is that Luke writes it in Luke chapter 1. He says, so that you can be certain of the things that you've learned, right? The Gospels are for us to be certain of the things that, that, that Jesus did. It's a historical account. We don't, we don't live out our faith based on myth. Right? This isn't something that just popped up one day where somebody was like, hey, I think I'm going to save everyone. And No, this is a historic faith that is rooted and grounded in history. And what we live on is the eyewitness testimony of people. But also, we see that, that Luke is addressing the apostles, right? The apostles in this book. Um, so it's important for us as believers to, to look at this text and say, okay, who, who is this addressed to? So it says that in the first book of Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up and after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit. Verse 3 says he presented himself alive to them, talking about the apostles after suffering many proofs. So we ask ourselves, what is an apostle? An apostle is someone who in that time was someone who had an official kind of title. There were 11 uh, disciples who were also known as apostles. Apostle gets its Greek word for ju just someone who is sent out, right? But at this point in the text, there are 11 apostles and they're short one other apostle, right? And they have to find or 
or establish their 12th apostle because that's how Jesus had it, right? He started out with 12 disciples or 12 apostles and one of them betrayed Jesus. His name was Judas. And so they had to rectify that so that they could have the 12 apostles or 12 disciples because Jesus established these 12, uh, 12 disciples in order to represent the 12 tribes of Israel to keep it consistent with that. So in an official sense, there were official offices of apostles that were sent out, that were chosen by God. But in an unofficial sense, we are also apostles. Not that we have an office or a title, but we are sent out as believers in Jesus with the good news of Jesus Christ. We are apostles because we are being sent out. God has given us the authority in his word to take the gospel to the nations and those who are around us, right? But the people that were in this context, the who in this context, the Bible says in Acts chapter 1, same where we're at, verse 12 through 16, that there were only about 120 disciples or followers of Jesus that were left after Jesus ascended into heaven. If you look at Acts chapter 1, 12, uh, Verse 12 through 26, it says in verse 12, Then they returned to Jerusalem from the Mount of Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath, Sabbath day's journey away. And when they had entered, they went up to the upper room where they were staying, Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus and Simon the zealot and Judas the son of James, all these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus and his brothers. In those days, verse 15 says, in those days, Peter stood up among the brothers. The company of persons was about 120. So we can see in the text, there's about 120 disciples that were up in this room and they were praying. People that stayed around after Jesus had resurrected and said, brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who, um, who arrested Jesus, for he was numbered among us and was allotted his share in this ministry. Now this man acquired a field with the reward of wickedness and falling headlong, he burst open in the middle, uh, in the middle and all his bowels gushed out and it became known to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem so that the field was called in their own language, um, Akeldama, that is field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms, may his camp become desolate. And let there be no one to dwell in it, and let no other take his office. So one of the men who have accompanied us during all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day when he was taken up from us, one of these men must become with us a witness to his resurrection. You'll see what's happening. So Judas had uh, betrayed Jesus. Uh, his guilt had overwhelmed him, so he hung himself, and the branch broke, and he, he died. It says that his innards spilled out. And so they stand up, and they say, we have, to, we have to find our 12 again. So what they do is they establish someone who had been with them from the beginning, right? So verse 23 says, And they put forward Joseph, called Barsabbas, who was also called Justice, and Matthias, and they prayed and said, You, Lord, who know the hearts of all, show which one of these two you have chosen to take the place in this ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. And they cast lots for them, and the lot fell on Matthias, probably because they didn't like his name, Joseph, called Barsabbas, who was also called Justice. So much easier just to say Matthias, right? I'm just kidding. That was a joke. 
right, verse 26. And they cast lots for them, and the lot fell on Matthias, and he was numbered with the 11 apostles. So we see 120 people in this upper room who have prayed and sought the Lord to find the one more disciple who was to be um, one of the apostles to take the gospel to the nations. I want you to notice that it was 120 men and women seeking the Lord that turned the world upside down. That's all it took. It was 120 people. Now the gospel did not stop with these 120 people there, did, did it? What if it did? We wouldn't be in this place today if, the if, if these disciples kept the gospel to themselves. But because these brothers and sisters, our ancestors in the faith, saw their friend live a perfect life die a death that they deserved, resurrected three days later and ascended into heaven. In the power of the Holy Spirit, they turned the world upside down. Amen. The Bible tells us, or scholars believe that it was within 30 years, between 80, 30, uh, I think it's 80, 32, and um, 80, 64, that the book of Luke was researched and written, and Luke and Acts, uh, or the, the testament of the New, New Testament church had lived out the ministry. That's, that's the span of Acts, just those 30 years. 120 people, 30 years, turned the world upside down. If you look around in this room, what would it take for us as believers in Jesus to turn our world upside down? The audience for this text isn't just the disciples, the apostles, and those 120 in the room. The gospel is for us to take to the nations. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 28, 18 through 19, he says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Right? Baptizing in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them, all, teaching them to deserve all that I have commanded you, and behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. This command was not just for the 12. This commission is not just for the 12. It's for you and me sitting in this room. This book is for me. This book is for you to take the gospel to the nations. And I think that God wants to turn this world upside down once again. I don't think that God is done reaching the nations. I don't think that God is done reaching Arlington. I don't think God is done reaching your family, your friends, your neighbor. I don't think God is done trying to reach your friends at school. I think God wants us to turn the world upside down with the good news of the gospel. So who? Me and you. Started with these 12 Theophilus, those believers, the 120 in the upper room, but it also is, this audience is for us. So what? Okay, so that's good, Caleb. I see I'm supposed to do something. This book is for me to do. So what am I supposed to do, right? What am I supposed to do? It's a natural progression of question, right? So we see who, now we ask what. Second thing is we partner with God in the building of his kingdom. That's what God has called us to do. That's what we are to do. That's what we are to be about as believers. It should mark us. It should mark our mission as believers. We are to partner with God to build the kingdom. And in verse 3 of what we just read, it says, He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the what? The kingdom of God, right? If you jump down to verse 6, they asked this question. The disciples asked this question. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? 
the kingdom to Israel. So the kingdom of God is um, a, a teaching that's consistent throughout Scripture that begins even in the book of Genesis and continues on throughout history. In fact, in the Gospels, the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven is mentioned 126 times in the Gospels alone. Just in the Gospels alone. If it's repeated that many times, don't you think it's important for us to know what it is? So the kingdom of God means we're everywhere that God rules and reigns. Everywhere that God's kingdom rules and reigns. You see, the kingdom promise that these disciples were asking Jesus about when they said, when are you going to establish your kingdom? They were thinking about like an earthly political kingdom, right? They were thinking that, that Jesus was going to restore the kingdom, the nation of Israel back to a political power. The, in fact, the Old Testament Messiah was anticipated to come as a king and to rule and reign over God's people and reestablish Israel as a kingdom again. Jesus is the king, not to quote Kanye West, but to quote scripture. He is king, and he came to establish his kingdom, and he get, began his earthly ministry with this message. He said, repent, right, for the kingdom of heaven is near, and he's establishing his kingdom and the rule and reign over our hearts. That's the kingdom that, that Jesus is establishing. Matthew 4, 17. As soon as Jesus was tempted in the wilderness, he begins his earthly ministry. His earthly ministry is a proclamation to all to repent. Verse 4, 17. For the kingdom of heaven is, hand, is at hand. So Jesus, when he steps on the scene, he begins to inaugurate his earthly kingdom. He is the king. He's beginning to rule and reign and establish his earthly kingdom. But there's also a, like a, a future aspect of God's kingdom, right? We looked at the, the series um, a few weeks ago when we said, teach us, when we looked at this um, scripture where the disciples said, teach us to pray. Jesus tells us in Matthew chapter 6, 10, he says to pray like this, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, Right? So, so what does that mean? Jesus came to establish his kingdom, but there's also a future aspect of God's kingdom. So is, there's an already not yet. Y'all say already not yet. Already not yet of, of God's kingdom. His kingdom began, but it's also being established in the rule and, the reign, and, and reign on our hearts as believers. So I showed you this slide a few weeks ago. Um, it's up on the screen. But this signifies what it means to have Jesus as the ruling, ruler and the reign, reigning king over your heart, right? So these three circles that you see, I'm going to use these a lot throughout um, my ministry here. Um, I'm going to use these repetition as a key to learning, right? I want you to see this because this gives us a, a, a picture of what it means to have Jesus as the king to rule and reign over our hearts. These three circles de describe three different um, phases of life, right? The first one, it shows, if you look at the, the chair, that symbolizes like the throne of your heart, right? Every single one of us, we have a throne on our heart, figuratively speaking. And apart from Christ, self, which is the S, the S, the self, rules and reigns over our lives, right? We call the shots in our lives. We do what we want to do. We go where we want to go. We say what we want to say. We eat what we want to eat. We do everything that we will. I am the king of my own life, right? And in fact, I'm building my own kingdom. I'm building my own wealth. I'm building my own influence. I am the king of my own life, right? And Jesus, represented by the cross, is nowhere to be found within that sphere, the second is kind of like our cultural Christianity, right? 
This, this is a cultural type of Christianity where you ask anybody on the street, say, you know, um, what is your faith? You say, I'm Christian, um, but you just say I'm Christian in name, but you don't say I'm Christian in practice. Where you might wear a cross around your neck, but there's no evidence of Christ being the king of your life, right? Jesus is in the sphere somewhere. I go to church, maybe I read my Bible every once in a while, Christmas, Easter, I poke my head in every once in a while when I feel like it. Um, you know, I try not to cuss sometimes or, you know, I don't get drunk too often, that kind of thing, where everything's just about religion, about works, where, you know, Jesus is somewhere in the picture, but yet you still call the shots. You know, it's an argument between you and, you know, your, your mind, where you're saying, I, I, I don't care, I'm still going to do whatever I want to do, right? That's the second phase in life. That's cultural Christianity. But what it means to be a, a follower of Jesus, it means that you take self completely off of the throne of your life, right? That's the third circle. And you put Jesus as the Lord and Savior, Savior over your life. You say, Jesus, you are my king. You reign sovereign over my life. What, what you want me to do for my vocation, what you've called me to do, I'll surrender that to you. If you want me to leave my work so that I can go and live uh, as a missionary in another country, I don't care. Whatever it is, whatever you've called me to, you're the king. You call the shots. Whatever I put into my body, God, you are the king. Whatever I say, where I go, how I entertain myself, God, you're the king and I'm gonna, I'm gonna lay everything, I'm gonna lay self aside. I'm gonna say, you are the king of my life. That's what it means to live a kingdom life. And so that's how Jesus establishes his kingdom in our lives, right? I'll, I'll be honest, um, most of my life was in the second circle, right? Most of my life was in that second circle. I grew up in a, in a Christian home. My parents were, um, my dad was a worship pastor, pastor uh, sometimes, and then my, my mom was a children's director. My grandpa was a pastor. My uncle was a pastor. Everybody's in ministry in my family. So I grew up in this kind of like atmosphere of faith where, um, you, you know, it's like, okay, yeah, I'll, I'll do this activity, but I never made Jesus the Lord and Savior of my life, Right? It wasn't until I, I made a decision and said, Lord, I, I no longer want to live for myself. Because when I lived for myself, it, it left me empty. It left me broken. It left me, left me hungry for more. When I surrendered to the Lordship of Jesus, my life began to change because I said, it's you, God. Whatever you want for my life. That's where we live, right? In that third circle. So not, not, only, not only does God establish the king, his, his kingdom in our hearts and our minds, but he actually, he, he moves in and through us as believers, right? Like I said before, the gospel isn't supposed to stop with you. It's for you, but it's not just for you. It's for you, but it's not just for you. It's supposed to expand in and through us. So when we place our faith in Jesus Christ, the Bible tells us that his Holy Spirit comes to rule and reign in our lives. And that's represented by the next um, slide here. See, the Holy Spirit represented by this, um, by this white circle. Oh, no, I just did. Okay, there it is. Uh, the, by this white circle is the Holy Spirit. You are the orange dot. When you place your faith in Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes and lives and dwells within you. Then what you are to do as believers, you go and you tell someone else who is not a follower of Jesus so that they then will trust in Jesus as their Savior and the Holy Spirit will live and dwell within them. Thus, the kingdom expands to one other person. And then that person tells another person, the kingdom of God expands. And that person tells another person, that kingdom expands, right? And that's what we have here as a local body. We look around and we see every brother and sister that is in this place. We have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. We have a local church. It's supposed to be a local expression of the kingdom of God, right? So God is establishing his kingdom in and through our lives when we share the gospel with other people. Does that make sense? 
The Holy Spirit lives and dwells within other people and it expands that way. But then there's an also a future fulfillment when Jesus, he will come and he will return and he will establish his kingdom forever. Where every tribe and every tongue and every nation will live in a new heaven and a new earth where there's no weeping, there's no, there's no crying, there's no more pain, there's no suffering, there's no more sin. And that's the kingdom of God will be in its totality. So our church here is supposed to be a representation of that day then. We're brothers and sisters. We live in unity together where we love one another, where we, give, where we give ourselves to one another with every tribe, every tongue, with every nation here on this place to show the lost and dying world what the kingdom of God looks like or what it will look like when Jesus finally returns. So we're establishing his kingdom by sharing the gospel with other people. So that's our mission. We're to take the gospel to other people to expand his kingdom. There's a parable that Jesus tells us about what the, what the kingdom of God looks like in Matthew chapter 25, 14 through 30. I'm going to read this really quick. Matthew chapter 25, 14 through 30. It says in verse 14, for it, meaning the kingdom of God, will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, to each according to his ability. And then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also, he who had the two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered me five talents. Here, I've made five talents more. His master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he, who, he also who had the two talents came forward saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here I have made two talents more. His master said to him as well, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I'll set you over much. Enter into the joy of, my master, or of your master. He also who had received the one talent came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered, scattered no seed. So I was afraid and I went and I hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. But his master, master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant. The master said to the servant, You're wicked and slothful, lazy servant. You knew that I would reap where I have not sown and gathered where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers and at my coming I should have received that, with, um, that was my, my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has 10 talents. For everyone who has will, uh, has will more be given and he who will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away and cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness in the place where there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Do you see what Jesus says? Jesus is telling us that the kingdom of God has been entrusted, invested in us as believers. And he's going to come one day and give an account to how we invested the kingdom of God. The picture that is being painted here is that coming back empty-handed should not be an option for us as believers. To the one who said, I thought I, I knew that you were a hard master and I was afraid, so I dug a hole and I and I hid it until you came back. He says, You're just being slothful, you're just being lazy. But to those who took the five talents and they reinvested it and came back with five talents more, he says, Well done, good and faithful servant. Don't you want to hear that when Jesus returns? Well, we didn't, as believers, as Arlington Baptist Church, we're going to stand before the Lord and say, well, I just buried it. I had you in my heart. I buried it deep down in my heart. I don't know why I said that so Southern. But I buried it in my heart. 
right? And Jesus said, what do, you, what do you mean? See, the servant says, I knew you to be a hard master, which means that the, the servant didn't really know the character of God. God's not a hard master. He's a loving and gracious master. If you knew him, you would know that he has given us this gift to share the good news of the gospel with people around us. For us as believers, not, just doing nothing should not be an option for us. We want to stand before the Lord and say, look at all these people that I got to lead to Christ, that I got to share the gospel with. You see, missions and evangelism is called to be through you, through the local church. That's what we're here for as a body of believers. We're equipping you to be soldiers for the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, not to, become, not to come and be watchers or to be entertained. You can do that on Netflix. If you want to be entertained, find somewhere else. We want to build an army of believers who want to steward the good news of the gospel for the sake of the glory of the Lord and also because we care about those who are lost and dying in this world. And we want to equip you to do that. That's part of being the local body of believers. Somehow we've gotten some idea that this is supposed to be some really good performance where you're supposed to be entertained and laugh a little bit as opposed to being equipped with the good news of the gospel to be taken to the nations. God has called you to take the kingdom, the good news of salvation to those who are around you. That's who? You? What? The kingdom, now where? From the home to the nations. From the home to the nations. Look at Acts chapter 1 verse 8. It says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Jesus tells his disciples that their witness and mission are to begin in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. If you look at a map, if you look at a map, you can kind of see this broadening like circle expanding, starting in Jerusalem, going to Judea, and then Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So there's a geographic plan of God for it to expand out from where they are. Um, so it begins in Jerusalem. All, this, all the, the New Testament, Jesus' life and ministry, it comes to this point in Jerusalem. One co commentator noted that um, something incredible. It says that the story of Jesus led up to Jerusalem where he was crucified, and the story of the church is led out from Jerusalem. He went from Jerusalem and then go out. So it's a geographic idea where it expands out into the nations, to the, to the ends of the earth, right? But it's also a cultural call. Samaria were people that, were people that Jews hated, right? There were people that, that they, would, they would travel days just to get around Samaria because they were interbred peoples between Jews and Gentiles and Jewish, authentic Jewish people. They hated them. And so they would travel days around just to not to have to go through them. That, I mean, talk about racism. It existed even back then. Jesus says, no, 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 no. I don't care what race, what ethnicity they are. You are to go and you're to take the gospel because you love them, Right? So it's geographical, but it's also ethnic. We're supposed to take it to those who do not have the gospel, to those who, who are even, we would consider our enemies are not like us. So this is where Jesus is telling us to take the good news of the gospel. Luke chapter 24, 4 through 47, it says, Then he, talking about Jesus, opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning in Jerusalem. So we... 
are to be a people that take the gospel from where we are, from our home to the nations. And this is what I believe God has called us to have, to embody as our mission is Arlington Baptist Church, that we are called to make disciples from the home to the nations. We're called to make disciples from the home to the nations. Arlington Baptist Church we will be a church that makes disciples from the home to the nations. We want every home to be a great commission home. What does that mean? That means that every home, every mom, every dad, every single person, every senior adult, every person lives a life like they are on mission for Jesus Christ. Moms and dads, it means raising your children in the, in the knowledge of the Lord, of his word, having people over that do not know Jesus sharing the gospel with them, having meals with people that are not like you, inviting them into your home, saying this will be a great commission home. No matter your marital status or where you are in life, you're saying I'm going to use my home as a great commission home. So we're going to, we're, we're going to pray, we're going to share the gospel, we're going to have Bible studies in our home, we're going to invite people to come to know Jesus from our home and this church also. We're going to share the gospel in our community collectively. You're not in this alone. We want to do this collectively. We want to share the gospel with our neighbors, with our community. We want to see Arlington, the city, transformed with the good news of Jesus Christ. We want every home to, to have a missionary that they pray with or pray, pray for, right? I love that one of the first things that I got to do here was to be able to help support Pastor Todd and Maddie go to the mission field. They say yes and amen, but I want to see more people. I don't think God has just called Todd and Maddie to go to the mission field. I believe that he's calling all of us to partake in some fashion, whether that's a short-term mission trip, whether it's a long-term mission trip, whether it's going for the rest of your lives onto the mission field. But you've got to start praying and start living as if you are on mission for the glory of God. Amen. You've got to ask the Lord Instead of asking, why should I go, ask the Lord, why should I stay? Why should I stay here? Why shouldn't I go into the mission field? In our community, I said this last week, there are 203,926 people that live within a five-mile radius. 203,926 people that live within a five-mile radius. 65,874 of those people, they said that they do not go to church. The question was posed, do you agree that you attend church regularly? 65,000 said, no, I disagree completely. Another 30,000 said they somewhat disagree, which means that they probably go on Christmas or Easter. We have a ginormous, is that a word? Gigantic mission field right here in our community to be able to share the good news of Jesus with the people around us. 203,000 people. Thankfully, we're not alone. Man, I thank God. I praise God for the mission, the missional churches that are around us. I thank God for Church of 1122. I thank God for Terry Parker. I thank God for Parkwood. I thank God for, for Faith Bridge down the road because those are our brothers and sisters living on mission for God. And we're all trying to achieve the same purpose and that's reach Duval County the good news of Jesus Christ. So we pray for those churches when we live on mission as a gospel, a great commission church where 
We want to make disciples from the home to the nations. This next slide kind of illustrates what Jesus is trying to show us, right? We go from the home to the nations. We start here, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Can you all see that there? Is it up there? Okay, good. So if you're anything like me, you might get overwhelmed. 203,000 people, you got 2.8 billion unreached, peop- uh, unreached peoples in the world. Like you might get overwhelmed, right? You might say, man, like that's just too much. That's, that's my approach. Like, I just get like mission fatigue when I think about that. But think about it. 120 people in a room turned the world upside down. The Holy Spirit fell and filled those people. And within a day, 3,000 people came to know Jesus. We want to see that happen again, not for the sake of numbers, but because we want to see this community reached for the good, for the glory of God, and to see people know that they can be forgiven of sin, right? And they can live in eternity with their heavenly Father. The gospel is not just for you. Okay, say it's it's for us to take, right? We're supposed to build the kingdom, supposed to take it from the home to the nations. But how? How do we do that, right? How do we do that? Look at Acts 1.8 again. It says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Do you see the two, the two ways that it's, it happens? I want you to see it in the text. You will receive power, and you will be my witnesses. Right? You will receive power and you will be my witnesses. I'll say this again. That the, these disciples here, they saw, they saw their friend live, die, resurrect from the dead, and then ascend into heaven. Look how many times that, that Luke says something with their eyes, Right? says in Acts 1-3, he says, he presented, he presented himself alive to them after suffering many proofs, right? He's proving it to them. After he resurrected, Jesus proved it to them in many forms. He ate with them. He saw Thomas and he told him to stick his, his, uh, Thomas's hands in his scars, right? He appeared to them. He saw them. Acts 1, 9 through 10, it says, and when he had said these things as they were looking on, he was lifted up and on a cloud it took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, the two men stood by them in white robes. In these verses, Luke is using language to help us understand that they saw it with their own eyes. They're witnesses of it. And in 1 Corinthians 15, 6, the Apostle Paul actually tells us, <coughs> excuse me, um, in verse 6, that he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time. This wasn't just a couple of people that had some, like, some trip that were hallucinating. You don't have mass hallucinations or mass trips where hundreds and 500 people see the same exact thing. Jesus walking, it says that at one time, Jesus appeared to over 500 people at one time. And, and Paul goes on to say, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. What's, what's Paul doing? He's saying, most of these people are alive who saw him. If you need some, some evidence or some proof, go ask them, right? Within the context of these letters, these people, they would have refuted that Jesus a- actually ever lived and would have squashed the gospel from being written as a lie, 
right? But since so many people actually saw and witnessed him, that gives, um, that gives credibility to what they saw. Over 500 people at one time, they saw Jesus alive. In Luke chapter 1, 1 through 4, it says, And as much as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of these things, <coughs> excuse me, have been accomplished among us, just as those who were from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us. It seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things that you have been taught. Luke's purpose in writing the first book was to corroborate the eyewitness testimony of those who saw the resurrected Jesus and so that we as believers can have certainty of his life, death, death, and resurrection. So you might say, <coughs> excuse me, you might say, okay, well, I didn't, I didn't see Jesus with my own eyes, right? That might be your argument. Like, that's, like, I wish, I wish that, like, iPhones would have been invented back then, right? Where we could have just, uh, you know, recorded Jesus, resurrected, and then watched him ascend, right? But you realize that in 2,000 years from now, people will say, oh, they probably used i14 technology and photoshopped Jesus. It probably wasn't real anyways. It's just all made up, right? Like, this is their witness. This is their testimony of what they saw, right? 2,000 years later doesn't, doesn't take away from the fact of what they saw, what they witnessed to, Right? Every new generation is going to have some kind of reason to doubt, but we stand on the witness of the, of, of the apostles, of the 120. Oh, thank you so much. Appreciate you. Um, such a good man, Spencer. Um, yes, yeah, so we stand on the, the eyewitness. So it, it doesn't matter. 2,000 years from now, they'll say, they'll say oh, they just made it up. Just da 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 That's what the Gospels are for. It's for us to know that Jesus, to know for certain the things that we have been taught, right? So Jesus tells uh, Thomas, Jesus tells uh, Thomas, who we all know is Doubting Thomas, um, when, when Thomas says, I'm not going to believe unless I see it with my own eyes, right? Unless I put my, unless I put my fingers in his nail-scarred hands, I'm not going to believe it. And Jesus, I mean, graciously doesn't, doesn't berate Thomas, right? He approaches Thomas and says, I understand your doubt. I understand it. He said, go ahead. And touch, see, feel. And then Thomas does this declaration. He says, my Lord and my God. And Jesus looks at him and says, Thomas, do you believe because now you've seen? Do you believe now because you've touched me? Do you, do you believe now? And Jesus says, blessed are those who believe without seeing. Which means that there's an extra special blessing for us who have faith outside of actually being able to see with our own eyes. Isn't that comforting to know? Jesus is gracious. He's merciful. He understands that we'll walk through doubt. But we are to be witnesses to the Gospels that we see in the New Testament. Not only that, though, we, we're witnesses to the power of the Holy Spirit within our own lives, Right? We should be able to witness to the fact that Jesus has changed us. We, not, we might not have, have had the opportunity to, to watch Jesus ascend into heaven on this cloud, right? But we should be able to testify, to witness to the fact that our lives have been changed. Not perfect, but they're being changed, that we're being transformed, right? 
So that's what we're witnessing too. The life-changing power of the Holy Spirit within us. I used to be one way. I trusted Christ in my, as my Savior. And somehow He is changing me. And I'm becoming more and more like Jesus. That's our invitation, right? To other people. Listen, the Gospels, they witness to this man who claimed to be God, who died on the cross and resurrected three days later. I placed my faith in him, and now my life is being changed. Like That's how we witness. So we're witnesses to that. But we're also witness, we also have the, the power of the Holy Spirit within us, right? He says, we're not called to do this alone. He says that, that I will send my spirit the power of my spirit to indwell you to fulfill the calling that he's placed on you. He's not like, here, go to the nations, figure it out. He said, no. Matthew chapter, 20, um, Matthew chapter 28, verse 20 says, I will be with you till the end of the age, which means that the Holy Spirit is going to be with us. He indwells us. His power is within us. And his power enables us to fulfill the mission that he's called us to do. J.I. Packer says that the Holy Spirit has a spotlight ministry where he always shines his light on Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit's ministry in our lives is to shine a light on Jesus. That's his power. Not just in the way that we live, but in the things that we say. We have to proclaim the gospel. We have to tell these people. There's this one, there's this one uh, phrase by Francis Assisi. He says, preach the gospel at all times and when necessary, use words. That's not a helpful saying because the gospel always requires us to witness to these things with our mouths. Yes, we're supposed to live consistent to what we believe, but we're also supposed to tell other people about it. There are good people who are, who are as lost as can be, who do good things, then their good deeds can lead them straight to hell. So we could do good things. We can do good ourselves to death. But without the good news of Jesus proclaiming it and telling other people in the power of the Holy Spirit, our mission is incomplete. And it's, our mission is always to eventually call people to repentance from sin to turn from their life of sin and trust Jesus. Over and over and over again in the book of Acts, the Holy Spirit, when the Holy Spirit fills a person, they speak the gospel. I want you to follow along with me and see this. Acts chapter 7, 54 through 60. It says, Now when they heard these things, they were enraged, and they ground their teeth at him, talking about Stephen, who was martyred. He said, But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked up into heaven, and he said, the Spirit led him to speak. Behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at him. They cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid their garments down at the feet of a young man named Saul, who we'll learn about later. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Stephen the first martyr who was killed for his faith. Oh, I want you to know that witness in Greek is martus, which is where we get the word martyr from. Our calling as believers is to go and die for the sake of the gospel. 
Thankfully, we live in a country where we don't face persecution like that, but are we willing to die for the sake of the gospel, like Stephen? But with the filling of the Holy Spirit, we speak the good news of the gospel. Acts chapter 2, 2 through 4, it says, And suddenly there came a, um, from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting, and divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And as they were filled, all, and, at, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. See it? Spirit fills and they speak. Acts 4, 8. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders, filled with the Holy Spirit, he said to them, he started preaching Acts 4.31, and when they had prayed, the place, where, um, place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness, filling of the Holy Spirit, speak the good news of the gospel. Acts 9.17 through 20, so Ananias departed and entered the house and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has uh, sent me to you that, a sign may re- uh, that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight then he rose and was baptized and take um, taking food and he was strengthened for some days he was with the disciples at Damascus and immediately he proclaimed filled with the Holy Spirit scales fell off his eyes had a meal and he goes and proclaims Acts 13, 18 to 8, I mean 13, 8 through 11, but um, Elymas the magician, for that is the meaning of his name, opposed them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. But Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, right? Filled with the Holy Spirit, speak the gospel. The gift of the Holy Spirit that he has for you is to share the good news of the gospel. We are witnesses to this and we're also empowered in this. See, we shouldn't be afraid to do this because we have the power and the presence of the living God that lives and dwells within us. I told you about my project, right, when I was building the bathroom. So I had, I had built a, a bathroom in a previous house um, in Georgia. Um, and man, I was so nervous for this undertaking because I had no idea what I was doing, right? I, I was just kind of like guessing, framing out the walls, um, doing tile, never done that before, building counters, like all that kind of stuff. I was scared out of my mind. I just knew I was going to ruin it and the, like the bathroom was going to be like falling to the right or something. But the second bathroom that I built, the second bathroom that I built, I invited my dad to come and help. My dad had the experience. He had the know-how. He had the tools. He had everything that he needed. So I wasn't even worried about it, Right. As I got into the project, I didn't even think twice because I knew my dad was going to give me the instruction. I knew he was going to tell me what I needed to do, where I needed to do it, how I was going to need to do it. It was his presence that gave me the comfort to be able to accomplish the task that he helped, that, that I was embarking on. Same with us as believers. We should feel comfort. We shouldn't have fear because the power of the Father, the Holy Spirit, fills you to be able to accomplish the calling that he's called you to. You should have comfort in that. As I, and I know, I know, as we go to talk, geez, you know, it's like scary, but when we trust the Lord, he fills us with his power and we'll just be amazed with what God has done. Every time I've shared the gospel with somebody and they say yes, I'm just like, really? Like, man, because I, like, I just feel like I'm just bumbling through it, like don't know what I'm saying, but it's all the power of the Holy Spirit that draws them to salvation, right? I'm not a perfect evangelizer, Evangelist? Evangelist. But every time I do, I'm just amazed by what God does when people commit their faith to Jesus. Last is why. And we'll finish here. Last is why. Why? Because Christ will return. That's our why. 
Acts 1, 11 says, and, and Jesus said, men of Galilee, oh, oh yeah, then the, the two men in white robes, they appear to him, right? They appear to them and they say, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This is after Jesus ascended. This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go, uh, go into heaven. The two men who appear say, why are you just standing there? Right? Standing there gazing up into heaven, just like, what did we just see? And two men come and say, why are you just standing there? Jesus is going to come back. Jesus, church, Jesus is going to come back. The Bible tells us that when he comes back, he's going to separate those who are believers and who are not believers, who trusted Jesus as their Lord and Savior. The Bible tells us that that Jesus isn't slow, as some count slowness, but he's being patient, that everyone would come to saving faith in Jesus Christ. It's God's mercy that Jesus hasn't returned. It's God's grace that he hasn't returned. So why are we standing there? Why are we just standing here? Why do you just stand there, church? God's given us a mission to go and share the gospel. Don't just stand there. kingdom is going to be established. Jesus is going to return. Jesus, when he was talking to the disciples, the disciples said this, when are you going to establish your kingdom? And Jesus says in response, it's not for you to know the time or the hour or the place that it's going to happen, but you were to go and be my witnesses, right? Basically, in layman's terms, Jesus says, that's none of your business, right? You just get to work. Why do you think that Jesus, why do you think that God hid the time? If you're anything like me, I'm a procrastinator. If, if you know, the Bible told us that Jesus was going to come back on September 11th, 2023, tomorrow. September 10th, I'd get to work. You know what I mean? Like, I'd wait till the very last minute and be like, oh yeah, Jesus is coming back. All right, now we got some work to do. Roll up our sleeves. Anybody else a procrastinator like me? We'll, we'll, we'll unite tomorrow, right? Get it? Procrastinators unite tomorrow. Oof. Huh. All right. But I'm a procrastinator. If, if I know that somebody's coming over to the house, I wait to the very last minute to throw everything in the closet or push everything under the bed, like get ready, you know? Casey just lives like there's somebody coming over, right? It's like always cleaning, always cleaning. Everything's always clean. Well, what if somebody comes over? That's how we should live like Jesus is coming back, you know, with anticipation that someone's going to come. Somebody very important is going to return. Live like that. Don't procrastinate till tomorrow. We have to live like Jesus is going to return. Now, Jaguars are going to start today at 1 o'clock. I promise we'll get out before then. We'll have time to start the grill because um, we're about done. But uh, God bless Trevor Lawrence, right? Um, but imagine, imagine this scenario, right? So all the football players, they show up on Sunday for the game, and they all get in a, their huddle, and Tre Trevor gets up there. He's like, man, we're going to run this play. We're going to do this, we do this. And everybody says, all right, ready, break. And they all run back to the sidelines. They sit down on the bench, like, man, that was a good play he just called, right? Did you hear that play Trevor just called? That was good. Such a good play caller. I love how he calls plays. 
They all get back together in the huddle. Next Sunday comes up. They get back to the huddle. Trevor's all right, now we're going to do this and this and this. They say, all right, ready, break. They all go back and they sit on the bench. Man, that was even better than last week. You know what? I've been studying what Trevor was going to call. I could even tell you what he was going to call in Greek. <laughs> Isn't that how we approach our, our lives, though? Every Sunday we come to this huddle, like, man, I know the Bible, I love the Bible. I'm not saying don't learn Greek. I'm not saying don't study the Word. I'm not saying don't gather. But sometimes it's the way that we approach it. Come, we do our huddle, yeah, great play call. And go home, just watch. Next Sunday comes, another great play call. Go home, nothing changes. Never get on the field. Never start. Right? It's my prayer that we wouldn't be a church like that. None of us. That's not to make you feel guilty. Just start asking God, right? I can't tell you what God's calling you to do. But pray and say, God, I know you've called me to be a part of this mission. I know that you want to bring kingdom in and through my life. I know you want me to make disciples in my home, in my school, with my neighbors with people that I work with. I know that you want me to do that. God, would you just give me the, the power of your Holy Spirit? I feel weak. I'm afraid. Be honest in your prayer, right? Say, I'm going to do it. I surrender to the call because we all want to hear that. Well done, good and faithful servant. Amen? Amen? Amen. Let's pray.